0: And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. Here he is, Michael Savage. Many of you have seen or heard about the film Oppenheimer. Great success. Well, we wanted to revisit the extraordinary interviews that I conducted with two contemporaries who worked alongside Oppenheimer on the Manhattan Project to develop the atomic bomb. That's right. I interviewed Edward Teller. I interviewed Samuel Cohen and Samuel Cohen developed the neutron bomb. Both of these great men are depicted in the movie Oppenheimer and later become renowned scientists of the atomic age. I was I was extremely lucky to get the opportunity to interview both Teller and Cohen in 1999 when I was in the radio world. I hope you enjoy these remarkable interviews because there's nothing like them in the history of radio. Listen carefully and report back to the Savage Nation. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other.
1: Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free.
0: Middle East on the brink. North Korea on the brink.
2: At Island, the cab or housing for the first hydrogen bomb take shape after months of preparation. In this building, the cataclysmic force of the H-bomb will be released. Working as a task force team, the Army, Navy and Air Force work against time to prepare the installations for M-Hour under the supervision of scientists who have labored for years to develop the thermonuclear weapon.
0: Edward Teller. I have no idea how I managed to get this giant on my local radio show back in 1999. I really don't remember it, but I will tell you this. It is the most important interview of my radio career. I would say next to the one with Mr. Cohen who invented the neutron bomb. Edward Teller is among the greatest minds in human history. And as I played the following interview, pay close attention to Reagan's Star Wars program, which he was a big part of that. And when I ask him, do you believe in God, what he says about that, what he has to say about religion, it's an interview that should live for decades. And you're very lucky to I found it in my archives. My team found it. we're looking for great stuff for this podcast that no one else in the world could do but me. Now, if you look up Edward Teller, you'll see he's a controversial man. He's the real Dr. Strangelove. This man, this great man, he's one of the giants in the history of physics was turned into a villain by the cancel culture movement run by the communist socialist left wing of that time why because he believed in strong national defense remember he had fled hitler and then he had to flee communism he fled fascism then he fled communism and he came to america and he believed strongly in a strong national defense He became one of the architects of Ronald Reagan's Star Wars program. And so for that reason, the left wing in this country, just like the left wing today, who wants to defund the police, defund the military, destroy the military, destroy our nuclear arsenal, the same elements of communism and subversion were going on then. So believe nothing of that. He was a great man. He'll be remembered in the history books as the great man he is. Unless we lose the revolution, which looks very, very likely today. So where shall I begin? Let's begin at the beginning. And I'll begin with the fact that he was born in Hungary. He was an American theoretical physicist and the father of the hydrogen bomb. And Edward Teller, along with Leo Szilard and Eugene Wigner, helped urge President Roosevelt to develop an atomic bomb program in the United States. These are all Jewish refugees from Hitler. The greatest minds of our time in this world, they saved America. They're all Jewish, for for the Nazis listening to the show. Don't fall into the trap that Hitler did because you'll wind up with what happened to Germany. So Teller comes here, joins the Los Alamos Laboratory in 1943 as group leader in the theoretical physics division, and he becomes interested in the possibility of developing an H-bomb after Enrico Fermi suggested that a weapon based on nuclear fission could be used to set off an even larger nuclear fission reaction He keeps pushing his ideas for a fusion weapon while other physicists were very skeptical that such a device would actually work there's much more to the internal back and forth that goes on the tensions within the world of physicists at Los Alamos and uh, the name Klaus Fuchs comes up it turns out that Klaus Fuchs was later revealed to be a Soviet spy Edward Teller was one of the few scientists to actually watch with eye protection the detonation of the atomic bomb during the Trinity test in July of 1945 instead of following orders to lie on the ground with his back turned. Controversially, in 1954, Edward Teller testified against J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was the real Dr. Strangelove, during Oppenheimer's security clearance hearing. Are you listening to this? This is why he is hated by the left. This is why he was canceled by the left. This is why he's called the Dr. Strange Love of our time. It's because he knew that Oppenheimer, who had turned against the use of nuclear weapons, did not understand that we would be annihilated by the Soviet Union had we not developed our own. Teller was also very interested in investigating non-military uses for nuclear devices. He was the main advisor to Israel on nuclear matters. Think about that, how smart he must be. Okay. So Teller contributed to the development, as you know, of the H bomb. And we go back. We go back to the Soviet Union detonating its first atomic bomb in nineteen forty nine and Teller then works hard to convince President Truman to develop a crash program for the for the H bomb, which he believed was feasible. Okay? In nineteen fifty Truman approves the hydrogen bomb program. Teller returns to Los Alamos later that year and begins working on a design. Teller collaborates with Polish mathematician Stanislaw Ulam, who came up with the first workable design for a thermonuclear device in 1951. A year later, the U.S. tests its first ever thermonuclear device at any Wutak Atoll in the South Pacific. It was called a Mike shot. It yielded 10 megatons of TNT, which was roughly a thousand times more powerful than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima seven years earlier 10 megatons a thousand times more powerful than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima this design which came to be known as the tele Ulam design still remains classified to this day and so we look at his his background there's so much to tell I can't do a whole biography you could look it up let's go back to his childhood he was a prodigy even as a young boy he was born in Budapest in 1908 the son of a lawyer And he belonged to a remarkable generation of Hungarian Jewish people who grew up in Budapest. They all went to the same school. They produced seven of the 20th century's most influential physicists and mathematicians. Aside from Teller, they included the mathematician John von Neumann, physicists Eugene Wigner, Leo Szilard, the engineer Theodor von Kármán. They're amazing. Wigner Szilard and von Neumann worked with Teller on the A-bomb. And their colleagues would smilingly refer to themselves as the Hungarian conspiracy. Who was he at an early age? He was a prodigy. He learned the fun of mathematics. He said he would stay awake in bed working out mathematical problems, such as trying to figure out in his head the number of seconds in a day without a calculator. You hear this? His father was unhappy when Teller announced he wanted to be a mathematician. He said, my father said I couldn't make a living that way, so he compromised. On chemistry but I cheated I studied chemistry and mathematics after two years my father gave up and told me to study what I wanted he recalled and this was a time when mathematics and physics were still considered to be one field and the place to study it was in Germany so Teller leaves Budapest for the Karlsruhe Technical Institute and the University of Munich this is interesting while in Munich he's run over by a trolley car in an accident and loses a foot and for the rest of his life, he wears a prosthesis, a false leg, in other words, leaving him with a slight limp. Think about this for a minute. Think about the victim culture in America today, where if someone gets a broken hangnail or someone's uncomfortable with a word someone says about their race or their sex or their gender or their hair color, they sue somebody. Here's a guy loses a leg in a trolley car accident, wears a prosthetic device, and he goes on to receive a PhD at the age of 22 from the University of Leipzig in 1930. He writes his dissertation under Werner Heisenberg, the developer of the uncertainty principle, who would later work on Hitler's atom bomb project. This is so much detail here. I don't know if the average person is interested. So finally, Mr. Teller is forced to flee Germany with the rise of the Nazis. Thank God these Jews escaped. He emigrated to the United States in 1938. And he takes a position at the then great George Washington University, which is now turned into a swamp, a cesspool of left wing garbage. And he collaborates with George Gamow in studies on radiation. I can't give you all the details. I'm not a physicist. You can read it for yourself. But the fact of the matter is, by the late 1930s, physicists in France, Germany and Britain and the US were moving toward the ability to break atoms and release the huge energy stored within the atoms. And this was all following Einstein's energy equals MC squared. Energy equals MC squared equals MC squared. The great fear among the non-German scientists was that Germany working under Heisenberg, who worked for Hitler, would be the first in harnessing this power for a weapon. They were afraid Germany would beat the U.S. to it. So Szilard tries to enlist Einstein, then the most famous scientist in the world, to get Washington's attention. In the summer of 1939, listen to this. Mr. Szilard decides to visit Einstein at his summer home on Long Island. And because Szilard could not drive a car, he asks Mr. Teller to drive him there. Teller wrote later, it was a little difficult to find Einstein. Quote, several inquiries failed to elicit the whereabouts of this obscure personage. That means Einstein. In the end, we asked a young girl, not yet 10 years of age, with two fairly long braids who responded positively to an inquiry about a nice old gentleman with plenty of white hair. Einstein serves them tea and then signs the letter that Szilard had written for them. And contrary to folklore, Roosevelt probably never read the letter, but did listen to the economist Alexander Sachs, who brought the letter from Einstein and summarized it for him. And that began the steps that led to Los Alamos. Tell a joke that he began his career in atomic physics as Leo Szilard's chauffeur. So, Teller is one of the first to arrive at Los Alamos in April of 1943, and he helps Oppenheimer recruit and organize the Manhattan Project. He and his wife, Misi, brought his pride and joy, a 100-year-old Steinway piano, on which Teller boomed out Bach and Mozart to the distraction of his neighbors. He was 35 years old. We'll be right back after this quick break. The Savage Nation. It's Savage on Demand. I don't know where to go from here, truthfully. There's so much to tell you about it. And how I got the interview, I have no idea. I guess you should read it yourself. There's so many different interviews about him. Just remember this. Because he was exiled by the liberals in America, because of what he said about Oppenheimer, who was anti-military, anti-nukes, he wound up kind of an exile. He was an exile. He was exiled in physics. He was exiled from the scientific community. And the fact of the matter is he didn't trust Oppenheimer. The reason was it turns out that Oppenheimer's wife, brother, sister-in-law and a former lover were communists. And Oppenheimer supported and belonged to a number of communist front organizations in Berkeley in the 1930s. Most of the scientists called to testify supported Oppenheimer and disputed the validity of the charge that Oppenheimer was then a security risk. Teller was one of the few exceptions. Now you understand why he was exiled. At the end of his generally complimentary testimony about Oppenheimer, listen to what he said about Oppenheimer as to whether Oppenheimer would be a security risk. These are 24 important words. Teller summarizes 24 words that triggered one of the most bitter feuds in the history of American physics. Listen to what he said, this genius. This is Teller on Oppenheimer. Quote, I feel that I would like to see the vital interests of this country in hands, which I understand better and therefore trust more, unquote. He was a genius. He was trying to signal. He claims he only meant that Oppenheimer was a complex character and he did not fully understand them. But the effect was very, very damaging. What happened was Oppenheimer turns away from him. Oppenheimer loses his security clearance and retires back to Princeton in disgrace. With those words, Teller changed his life. This is important. A week later, Teller is visiting Los Alamos when he runs into physicist Robert Christie, a longtime friend and colleague. Teller put out his hand to shake Christie's. Christie looked down at the hand, spun on his heels, and without a word, walks away. Dr. Teller and his wife leave the dining room, return to the hotel. Teller later told an interview he broke down and wept. He was exiled for years while Oppenheimer would take on the status of a folk hero because he was a leftist. Teller understood the danger we were in. He was not a villain. Oppenheimer was not a villain. The fact is, though, he understood very, very clearly, very, very clearly the danger this country was in with what was going on at the time in the Soviet Union. He said later on that he supported, well, listen to what he said about the Soviet Union. He said that the uh, military establishment understood him because he was an ardent supporter in the scientific community backing most major weapons systems. He opposed the salt talks on grounds that the Soviets simply could not be trusted. Do you disagree with him? He opposed the anti-ballistic missile treaty in 1972. He supported safeguarding anti-missile system designed to protect U.S. weapons from Soviet attack. He opposed the nuclear freeze movement. Listen to what he said, Dr. Teller. He said, nuclear war is for me a real possibility and has been for the last 40 years. That's what he said to an interviewer for Forbes magazine in 1980. He went on to say, if we went into a nuclear war today, there is practically no question that the Russians would win that war and the United States would not exist. For a quarter of a century, we have conceived of our situation as a balance of terror. And the dreadful point is that the terror is obvious. The balance is not. He said that in a speech to the National Press Club in 1982. Nuclear weaponry, he told the San Jose Mercury News reporter, quote, is not an obsession. It's my duty. I'm doing it because few others are doing it. And it's the route away from either Soviet world domination or destruction. There's so much more to be said about here that I can't say at all. And so here's a man who worked as a patriot. He was understood by the presidents of the country, mainly Ronald Reagan and he was cursed by the leftists in the scientific community and the media who were all basically socialists or communists and that's the end of that story however got him on my local radio show back in 1999 i really don't remember the story i wish i could tell it to you i don't remember i don't know how i was able to get the father of the h-bomb edward teller on my show when i was still a local host i really don't remember the story but i'm lucky i found it in my archives I'm luckier that I can play it for you now. I will give you one caveat. He has a very, very strong Eastern European English accent. He's very difficult to listen to. You may not want to listen to the whole interview. I implore you to try to listen to the interview. It gets easier toward the end. We have tried to fix the tape the best we could so you could listen to the giant of nuclear physics, Edward Teller when I interviewed him back in 1999. Thank you for listening. I'm Michael Savage. This is an interview that should live for many, many decades. Thank you. Now let's listen.
2: The Savage Nation. It's
0: savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. I've had 30 minutes with my audience who've called in advance with questions for you. It's a pleasure. Uh, I I may as well start with the obvious question because of the Cox report. Can you tell us, in your opinion, uh, just how damaged uh, our uh, nuclear uh, enterprise has been? I do not know. But my
3: guess is that the importance of this so-called espionage is greatly exaggerated. Greatly
4: exaggerated? Yes. That's intriguing. So you think there's a great political element to
3: all of this? It is not my business to suggest whether it's political or whatever it is. But the point is that we are trying to keep secrets which people can discover for themselves. Uh In 50 years after things have been completed, some information gets transferred that might or might not be important. I know that the Chinese scientists are good, and if they wanted to, they probably could discover some of these things for themselves.
4: That's very interesting because... The important thing that should be kept are
3: close details. And how important this is for another country to know, I do not. I cannot estimate, but uh, this is something no one can know unless you look into it in very great
4: detail. Dr. Teller, could you compare security at uh,
0: labs such as Los Alamos today to to security 40 or 50 years ago? Is it different?
3: To my knowledge, it has not been very different, except that perhaps the security during the war was less less serious.
4: Less serious than now. Right. Interesting. Because there were a good number
3: of people, including myself, who came from abroad. And we now know that at least one of these people, a physicist, Klaus Fuchs, was a spy who did give away very important information. Uh which at that time helped the Soviets a lot. The response of Truman to that was not along the line of tightening security, but along the line of stimulating us to make faster progress. And that is an approach which I think is effective, and I
4: approve
0: of it. Well, how should the U.S., having said what you've said, which is that you believe the Chinese scientists who are excellent could possibly have developed many of these these, um, uh, developments, discovered them on their own, uh, should we have this level of uproar? Or let's put it another way, how should we, the people, or how should the government, in your opinion, if you were an advisor to them, which you may be today, respond to the theft of our nuclear uh, uh, secret so-called by
3: China? the same way that Truman responded to it. Accelerate our own further for more effective weapons of the future. More effective. More effective, very particularly more effective defensive weapons.
0: Well, I want to talk with you about it because under on the, on the Ronald Reagan, you were a great proponent and still are of the uh, Missile Defense Shield. And in a few moments, when we come back with Dr. Teller, that's the subject I think that's most important today. Dr. Teller, can you bear with uh, this commercial break, and we'll come right back? I probably can. Thank you.
4: Savage.
2: The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. The ball of fire is three miles across as it shatters both land and sea. The shockwave races 35 miles and reaches the control ship with force enough to jar the solidly mounted camera. In seconds, the fireball erupts into a geyser that towers 25 miles into the stratosphere, spreading into a 100-mile-wide mushroom cloud.
0: Dr. Teller, thank you for being with us. Dr. Teller, before we go into the uh, missile defense shield, can you please explain to this audience how a neutron bomb... uh, so, so-called works what does it do
3: I don't think that anything like a neutron bomb exists I heard that name I don't know what it is I think people are imagining things that are not there
0: that's quite a statement uh, so there are scientists though who claim that they developed uh, such a weapon and that the Chinese tested them are, are you denying uh, that they're, that they're telling the truth I mean are you saying that they're not telling the truth
3: I certainly can't confirm what they say
0: okay we'll let it go with that uh, then let's go to the next question if a hydrogen bomb exists which I'm sure it does because you do know it does exist how do you defend against the hydrogen or a, an atomic weapon
3: it is very clear that missiles can be fired over long distances can carry considerable weight and can carry all kinds of dangerous things, bombs, atomic bombs, chemical or biological poisons. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that the ocean barriers are no longer defending us, and therefore we must look for ways to shoot down incoming missiles.
0: Okay, and to shoot them down, you once proposed, I think, under Ronald Reagan, a, a so-called SDSI. Could you please uh, describe what that is?
3: I do not know the abbreviation of what it meant precisely at the time. I can say what I think should be done now. Okay. Missiles are most easily destroyed, and that, they won't be easily destroyed at all. But relatively speaking, it's easier to destroy them shortly after takeoff. We should have satellites over the world which look for dangerous launchers. And we should try to send down an object to collide with the oncoming missile as soon after its takeoff as ever possible. Mm -hmm. I cannot say that this will work. I can say that among the possibilities proposed, I consider that the one that is most likely to work and that should be strongly pursued. It is not pursued now. It is not
0: pursued now.
4: Uh, Would the development of such a missile defense system be more feasible today than it would have been 15 years ago?
3: I certainly believe it's more feasible for two reasons. Our methods of observation have improved, and our computations have greatly improved. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you observe how something is moving, to find out how that it will be at a certain time from now, can be more easily, more readily
0: performed. Dr. Teller, this is a touchy question because uh, you yourself were an immigrant to America when there was a degree of xenophobia in this country. Uh, I am the son of an immigrant from a European nation. Uh, This is a question that I think goes right to the heart of today's political uproar. Do we have American scientists in place capable of developing such anti-satellite technology?
3: We have American scientists, we have some help from abroad. The whole thing is very difficult. I cannot say that it will succeed, but I can say that the more good people are coming, the better. And we should not refuse other people's help if we can possibly
0: get it. Okay, we'll be back in a moment with Dr. Edward Teller, the uh, great, great Dr. Teller on the Savage Nation. Many of you called earlier and asked what Dr. Teller would recommend for pre for school age children, who uh, how we we can develop the minds of some of the young. And I know that Dr. Teller, on occasion, uh, teaches. Uh, at least you used to teach occasionally at the Hebrew Academy. Is that true, Dr. Teller?
3: I used to teach. I'm not doing it now. It's getting more and more difficult even to stand up, you know, I'm 91 years old. <laughs> but to teach was one of my great pleasures and the most important function. And the most important part of it is that a teacher must love his subject and must be able must have the ability to transfer this love to children. Mm-hmm. We'll be
0: back in a moment with the great Dr. Teller here on KSFO. Savage home of borders, language, culture, the Savage Nation. Dr. Teller, you have lived through almost the entire century. You've worked with some of the great men. You are one of the great men of our century. Uh, You said you're 91 years old. God bless you. If you could tell us, how can we use science and technology to uh, benefit most of humanity or the, the, the best number of us? What would you recommend?
3: A very difficult question, and I don't claim to have the right answer. I have an answer worth of being discussed. Weather prediction. Let me tell you, in the middle of the century, we could predict the weather for the day after tomorrow. Today. With an incredible, incredible improvement in computing facilities, we can predict weather for five days
4: in
0: a <laughs> I'm laughing because it's such a basic truth. Uh, here in the Bay Area, every time I look on the local news, they get it wrong for the next five days.
3: I claim that we might be able to predict the weather not very long, but 15 days. Mm -hmm. and that would be very valuable. I claim that we might be able to do that for a billion dollars a year or less. Mm -hmm. But it would pay off.
4: How so? A hundredfold, I think, maybe. You mean by predicting
3: floods and such? That, but perhaps even more obviously in a more everyday fashion, people should know when to plant, when to collect, mm-hmm. our agricultural activities would be greatly improved and that would hold for the whole world. It so happens that weather, of course, moves from place to place. A really good weather prediction must be a global weather prediction and weather prediction that helps everybody on earth will get people interested in collaboration. And I think such interest in collaboration might well be a very good way to decrease the probability
4: of war. Decrease the probability of war? Decrease. Yes, of course, but
3: why? Because people have an interest in collaborating.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. I would hope that that optimism translates to uh, all people in all countries. I don't think so.
3: I will tell you that without optimism, we can't live.
0: Mm. Without optimism, we can't live.
4: Right. That is a great piece of advice. That is a great, great I think it's correct.
3: Well, I I believe you have to be... A pessimist is needed to foretell the future, mm-hmm. the possibilities. Mm-hmm. An optimist is even more badly needed to create a better future.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Teller, I noticed that in 1934, you were brought to London, thank goodness, by the Jewish Rescue Committee. Were you raised in a religious home? No. Uh, at this point in your life, do you do you, can I ask you this question, a personal question? Do you believe in a God,
3: in God rather? I am quite unwilling to talk about things I do not completely understand. Fair enough. There is plenty to say about things we do understand. (laughs) I will say one thing about religion, and that is that if you read the Bible, and if you consider all the discoveries that have been made since the Bible has been written, it would be extremely important for religion to update the Bible so that one should understand how one can believe in such a thing and at the same time believe as we have to believe in the solid progress of science. Mm -hmm. This adjustment will have to be made from the religious side. It's a very important work, and I think
0: progress in it can be made. That's fantastic. And I would like to leave you uh, on that note because that's an awful lot for me to comprehend. I think, let me see if I can translate that for myself and perhaps for my audience. Are you suggesting that the Bible should be reinterpreted in a modern scientific manner? and, And some of the statements made shown, which have shown to be true, explained through a scientific point of view?
3: The simple facts, starting from the point that Earth as we know it is a very small part of the universe. This was not known at the time the Bible was written. Mm. And the question is, how should you put it today? Mm -hmm. But that is only one Of many examples. Savage.
0: Michael Savage. A host like no other. A savage republic inside the plot to destroy America lays out the threats we face, prepare you for what's next, and offer solutions to save our republic. Please wake up and fight back before it is too late. You can buy it right now on Amazon or on BarnesandNoble.com. A Savage Republic Inside the Plot to Destroy America by Michael Savage. Thank you for listening. Share it with five others. Welcome to KSFO Radio in occupied San Francisco. Last week on this program, we had an astounding uh, newsmaking interview with the father of the hydrogen bomb, Dr. Ed Teller, who um, said a few words, which you're going to hear repeated in the next few minutes. In order to get some bearing as to whether there is reality in what Dr. Teller said, we have today invited, and he has accepted, Dr. Samuel Cohen, father of the neutron bomb. And we will also talk about the Chinese spying. You're going to hear something, and you're going to be shocked. So get ready for a ride. Now let's listen to what Dr. Teller said. Dr. Teller, before we go into the missile defense shield, can you please explain to this audience how a neutron bomb uh so, so-called works what does it do
3: i don't think that anything
0: like a neutron
3: bomb exists i heard that name i don't know what it is i think people are imagining things that are not there that's quite
0: a statement uh so there are scientists though who claim that they developed uh, such a weapon and that the chinese tested them are, are you denying uh, that they're, that they're telling the truth i mean are you saying that they're not telling the truth I certainly can't confirm what to say. Okay, we'll let it go with that. Uh, what do you think about Dr. Teller saying, A, there is no such thing as a neutron bomb, which is, surely that can be tested. Well, what I did was I decided to uh, find out from the man who invented the neutron bomb, Dr. Cohen, and right now, without any further introduction, we have Samuel Cohen. Dr. Cohen, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Now, I read a report in the World WorldNet Daily not too long ago that, You were quoted extensively by David M. Bresnahan, uh, and we learned, for example, that the Chinese not only apparently stole or were given this this technology, but they tested it seven times. Is that true? Uh,
1: According to the Cox Committee report, uh, and we have to assume uh, that's as close to the truth as we're going to know, Mm -hmm. because they had all the clearances and all the access... To the intelligence agencies back in Washington and so on, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably true that the Chinese have tested on the order of a half dozen or so uh, neutron bombs underground.
0: Dr. Cohen, you, you actually developed a neutron bomb, is that correct?
1: I developed the concept. I didn't, you know, screw the thing together. I could barely screw in a light bulb.
0: <laughs>
1: well, I can I can appreciate
0: that. So you are a theoretical physicist, is that I was trained that way, yes. Okay. What is a neutron bomb? Well,
1: with all due respect to Edward Teller, who's a, an old acquaintance of mine, going on back to World War II at Los Alamos, uh, who doesn't seem to, to know about it or even have heard about it, you know, to listen to what you played back. Uh, a neutron bomb is the antithesis of the hydrogen bomb that teller has been called the father of. And instead of laying waste, uh, you know, to practically whole countries, and theoretically even exterminating the world with long lasting radioactivity and, and so on and so forth, what the neutron bomb is intended to do is to be able to be used in a ground war. And these things go on apace, and they always have throughout human history but to use this weapon in a fashion that lives up to the so-called Christian just war principles, which are based on the premise that if wars are to be fought, unfortunately, that the most moral thing to do is to separate the enemy, the aggressor, from the civilian populace, the alleged innocents, so that when you know, all these weapons have
5: been used, uh,
1: the enemy will have been decimated uh, by the neutrons uh, coming out of the bomb. In the good old days when we were in our uh, Cold War with the Soviet Union, uh, the enemy was the Red Army, so that all their tank units uh, would be put out of action. But on the other hand, with respect to the civilians, who in conventional warfare have always been involved, uh, with the war itself, and had their cities bombed, shelled into oblivion. And now, let me just pause and say, we're repeating that right now over in the Balkans. How so? And it
0: bothers me. Well, it kills me to. It kills me to see what we're doing to the civilian population. I'll tell you that. It's, it's heartbreaking. And I've gotten a letter here from a former U.S. Air Force major. You may know him yourself, Richard Fellman who was rescued by the Serbs. His heart is breaking to see that. But put that aside, if we will. A, we'll do that. Because, it's a very big topic. But, Dr. Cohen, here's the important question for you. And there are so many important uh, questions. But, uh, there is a neutron bomb. Uh, there's no question about it. But why would Teller have said the so-called? Was he being um, rhetorically facetious? Uh,
1: before I answer that, sir, uh, let me complete uh, what I was in the process of answering, the neutron bomb, in contrast to the hydrogen bomb, doesn't wipe out, wipe out the world. And I put this in quotes. It tries to save the world, world civilization, by being able to fight a war, and repeat, in an accord with Christian just war principles, by separating the civilian fabric from the warriors. Unlike NATO's That's precisely pr- what the neutron bomb does. Right. Now, may I go on one step further, sir?
0: Yeah, in in a moment, but I must say this: uh, we we're going to get off on many different tangents today because you we obviously sure you obviously have so much information. Uh, well, uh, we, we're going to have to try and condense it into 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 uh, a radio type of interview for this for the sake uh, of the listener.
1: Correct. Look, I'm very familiar with
0: that. All right, fine. Well, so let
4: me ask one word. Yes,
1: is that the neutron bomb came to the attention of the Vatican, and as a result, the inventor got a peace medal from the Pope. Okay, now you go ahead.
0: So who was the inventor?
1: You're speaking to him.
0: Okay, fine.
1: Well, the Pope so is... If you'd like to know who the Pope was, it
0: was Paul VI. Yes. No, I know who the Pope was, and I know who the inventor was, but I want to know if you think that uh, Edward Teller was being rhetorically facetious when he said in a somewhat sarcastic voice, the, I heard of such a device, but I cannot confirm whether it exists. Was he simply saying that uh, he doesn't acknowledge the existence because it would threaten his status as a, as a theoretical physicist?
1: Not as a, not as a theoretical physicist, but as a guy who set out to save his country uh, via the hydrogen bomb. I've known Teller uh, since World War II, and when I came across the neutron bomb concept, Teller was very indifferent to the point of being unfriendly. Toward me and we'd known each other for quite a few years. And I remember one day he stopped me. We came upon each other and he said, Sam, he says, this is with respect to the neutron bomb, and Edward is now director of the uh, Livermore Laboratory, Clear mm-hmm. Weapons Laboratory. He says, I can't thank you enough for what you've done for what my laboratory is, you know, trying to accomplish And uh, I'm just tremendously appreciative. And then he got this kind of typical teller-like smirk on his face. He says, (laughs) tell me, Sam. He says, what have you done? Now, he knew damn well what I had done. I had put the Livermore Laboratory on the map because that project got the highest priority in the government nuclear weapons program. And it was a big boost to his lab, which he loved dearly, because he had founded it. But he was so competitive Mm -hmm. with other people Mm -hmm. who had ideas Mm -hmm. that might turn out to be more popular than his hydrogen bomb idea, Mm -hmm. that he was capable of behaving in this infantile fashion.
0: Well, I think you've explained it uh, very completely. And when we come back from this commercial break on the Savage Nation uh, what I really want to know is, because we, you've confirmed what we suspected, there is a neutron bomb, of course. You are the father of that. I would like you as an expert, one of the great experts in the history of science, to tell us what we have suffered with regard to the, the China spying and what we must do from here. I'll be back in a moment. Savage. Home of borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. This is Michael Savage. We're speaking with Dr. Samuel Cohen, father of the neutron bomb. Dr. Cohen, welcome back. I'm glad that you waited. Uh, You have cleared us up uh, with, cleared up the the, the, uh, statement by Dr. Teller that the so-called neutron bomb, you've confirmed, of course, that it exists. Now the big story, of course, is the Cox report. Dr. Cohen, how bad is it? How badly are we damaged?
1: Well, there are two areas strategic nuclear area, which involves hydrogen warheads, thermonuclear warheads, and the other one is the battlefield nuclear area, which involves neutron bombs. In the thermonuclear area, I don't think that we've been particularly damaged, despite all the political rhetoric that we have coming out of Washington and out of the media and so on and so forth, because that's a game that nobody's understood, and it's unthinkable to have an exchange, a massive exchange of hydrogen bombs and so on. Uh, nations can't take that kind of you know, uh, damage, mm-hmm. uh, and especially our nation. Now, with respect to the neutron bomb, which involves battlefield war, what we have done here with our great connivance and... Out the geopolitical equation and all that sort of stuff regarding our relationship with China we have given them the basic design secrets of the neutron bomb because they, when we did this they were theoretically an ally of ours against the Soviet Union now what they have done is they have taken this material plus whatever material they had at hand due to their own development which I would guess was very substantial And they are putting together a neutron bomb stockpile, Mm. which, if ever used against the United States, if some conflict were to occur in East Asia, when we were pitted against the Chinese, we would lose ignominiously.
0: We would lose?
1: Ignominiously.
0: You mean we couldn't retaliate or we wouldn't retaliate?
1: Uh, Probably both. Morally, I don't think uh, that we would retaliate because we have disposed of all of our battlefield nuclear weapons, including the neutron bomb stockpile that President Ro- uh, Roosevelt, President Reagan, uh, built up. We have we have. They're all gone.
0: Well, where'd they go?
1: Well, they were just uh, demolished. You know the. Uh, Valuable components like the plutonium that went into the bomb, you know, that's been put aside to be used for other purposes. And there's some tritium in there as a heavy isotope of hydrogen, and that's been put aside to be used actually in hydrogen bombs. But the neutron bombs themselves are no longer in existence, along with all other nuclear battlefield weapons.
0: And so... Dr. Cohen, I must, I must ask you to pause. Is this well-known, what you just said,
1: it can be well known, but it isn't. And the way the media has treated this in such a cavalier fashion, I find discouraging to the point of being even a little disgusting.
0: Of well, coming orange, from coming from the important. coming from the father of the neutron bomb, I would say this is uh, this is sort of earth-shattering news. And I can assure you, Dr. Coe, and the audience listening to this program. While regional uh, on the radio is international on the internet, this will be picked up worldwide right as soon as you're through. Dr. Cohen, therefore, if the Chinese are developing such neutron weapons for battlefield use, why is this not being reported by the media?
1: Pardon me, they've already developed them. That comes out in the Cox report.
0: Mm-hmm. And they've developed them with our technology? With our know-how?
1: They've developed them uh, partially uh, with our assistance. Which was done deliberately uh, some uh, close to 20 years ago or so. Uh, they didn't steal the secrets. We gave them.
0: When you say our we, secrets. when you say we, Doctor, uh, are you capable or willing to tell us who the we are?
1: The United States government, the executive branch of the United States government, made that decision for their own infinitely wise reasons. Which, in retrospect, not the
0: pretty poor. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free... Sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.